The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I don't know if um, you're all familiar with the rules of a, how American football works, but you make a play and then you huddle up, everybody get the play, break, then you go to the line. And every now and then the quarterback decides, I'm going to change it. That's called an audible. So I'm going to call an audible this morning. I just don't want to stand back there. So I'm going to stand up here. Now my wife is already nervous that I'm going to fall into this <laughs> baptismal. But that will keep you all paying attention, right? And uh, Mario, this is on you. I'm going to be looking at you. And uh, you yell if I'm getting too close. I do get animated and can lose my... <laughs> The Apostle Paul told the uh, Philippians that he, he knew how to be brought low and how to abound. That in er any and every circumstance, he learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. That he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. So in our own individual lives, we, we, play, we face abundance and we face plenty and sometimes we face hunger and need. Corporately as a church, sometimes it's abundant and sometimes it feels like need. And the constant through it all is that Jesus Christ is our sustainer, our provider, our Lord, our Savior and our treasure. So this morning's sermon is a little bit different. It's already different. This is just perfect. Everything's a little different. And we're just gathering here as a family and being real about where we are as a church, where we are as a church downtown. I don't know if, if, you're, uh, if you've caught on, but we're a church. We're not really a campus. We're a church. We're a church with members in the body. And we care for one another and we walk with each other through trial and we celebrate joy, this is a good church. Our family has been cared for in our deepest moments by this church. And our family has celebrated in our highest moments in our church. So we want to be honest and not fake it when it comes to hard times. Life is up and down, individually, corporately. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments, you would draw us together in you, hoping in you, strengthened in our faith, loving one another, loving our neighbor near and far. Pray that you would exalt yourself now as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of stories in the Bible where God's people are up against it. Their backs are against the wall. They're losing They've lost, and they surely ask the question, where do we go from here? What are we going to do now? I thought about this, and I thought about the garden, the place where Adam and Eve are dwelling in perfect harmony with God and with each other. There's no war. There's no accusations. There's no scorn. 
There's no heartache. There's no broken promises. There's no miscommunication <laughs> in, perf- in perfection in the garden. There's no disease. There's no death. Imagine your most peaceful and joyful and productive day. Can you think of a day like that? You're happy. <laughs> Nothing's at you. And you're doing good work. Whatever you're doing. And you're enjoying it. <laughs> you're enjoying your work. That was what it was like. That was their day, their life, day after day. And then one day, this, after rebellion, to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Cursed is the ground because of you, he says to the man. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Therefore the Lord sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. What would it have been like for Adam and Eve after all they have known is perfect fellowship with God, is peace and love with each other, is productivity? What is this pain? They didn't even know what it was. What would the first pain have been? I hate it. No, Lord. Can we go back? What are we going to do now? As they stand outside the garden and are not allowed to return. Where do we go from here? I thought about Noah and his family. We've all heard the story of Noah. Some of us may have given our children little cute animal figurines to play with. What an odd thing, a giraffe with a smile. Or a little picture book when they're all sort of crammed onto the boat and they're all smiling. Do you think that's what it was like? Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So they get into the boat. This is not a cruise liner with dampeners for the waves and a nice big engine. This boat has no propulsion. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And the land disappears. And the boat is at the mercy of the wind and the waves. And it's filled with animals. There's three decks. It's longer than a football field. There's no artificial light except possibly torches that they might carry around. But I don't think you want to put torches every five feet to light the way on a boat made of wood. Constant noise. I doubt the thousands of animals all slept at the same time. Constant smell. 
constant duty, constant fear. What is going to happen to us? They get into the boat with all the animals. After months and months of floating on an endless sea and the constant stress and pressure and surely exhausting work, they finally land. Just go there with me for a minute. Set aside the storybook and imagine this experience. Months and months and months. And they finally land somewhere on the earth. What would it have been like to walk out of the ark? Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. And now this is our life. We don't know where we are. We don't know what to do. Where do we go from here? I thought about the Exodus. After God uses Joseph to save his people from famine and relocate them in Egypt, they grew fruitful and strong. They grew so fruitful and strong that when the new king was raised up, the king that didn't know Joseph, hadn't known him, this king known as Pharaoh, begins to persecute them. He afflicts them with heavy burden. Exodus 1, they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Pharaoh was so afraid of God's people, so threatened by them, that he sought to oppress them, to hold them down, to make them as slaves, to give them so much work that they couldn't even accomplish the work he gave them to do. After striving back, and and in addition to that, Pharaoh orders that all male babies be killed. When When a baby's born, if it's a boy, kill it. After striving back and forth with Pharaoh, he finally lets, them, lets the people go with Moses as their leader. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And he said, what is this we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. So he made his chariot, ready his chariot, and took his army with him. Exodus 14. The Egyptians pursued them. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped at the sea. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Can you imagine this place that has been sort of your temporary home in which you have been received the place where you were saved from starvation. Over time, you become the people of scorn, of derision, looked down on, threatened. And so after striving back and forth and supernatural things, you're finally allowed to leave. You grab everything you can, carry, throw it in a cart, and you leave your home. And you find yourself up against a sea that you can't cross. And you look into the distance and the dust is rising. And you realize 
what is coming for us is the king with his army, a well-fed army, a well-trained army, a well-equipped army. You cannot beat this army by fighting. They will destroy you, and they are coming, and we can have nowhere to go. What are we going to do now? Where do we go from here? I just put myself, I can imagine looking at my brothers and saying, we must move towards the front, put ourselves between the army and our children, but they will destroy us. What are we going to do now? I thought about the exile. After wandering in the wilderness and the death of Moses, we read in Joshua that the people enter the land that God has promised them. After many battles, the people settle there. They established all that it takes to support a civilization, right? They have commerce. They have laws. They have education. They have farming, defense, and worship. This is the land that God has given them. Later, an empire rises up and defeats them and takes them away to serve them. Just imagine again. Just imagine. You finally have your land, and we've built our civilization, and we've, we've won many battles, and we thought we were going to win this battle, but we lost. And they took us and forced us out of our land back to theirs to serve them. This is one of the casualties of war, forced to abandon all that you know. I can't, I can't even relate to most of this. The closest thing I thought was one of the nights when the businesses were burning on Lake Street and we were watching on TV and we could see, we could smell the smoke from a half mile away. I parked a car in the front and I parked a car in the back. And I thought, if they come here, we'll abandon our home. Many, of, many people in Bethlehem did that. Some of you did that. We're just going to leave and hope that our home is there when we get back. Abandoning all that you know, what is yours, what, what you have cultivated and cared for. Can you imagine the hard road to Babylon? Forced marched to another country to serve another people. Can you imagine what, what would that have been like? The tears, the desperation, the confusion, the pain on the way to Babylon. Or when they arrived, living again as slaves in this strange land, having been conquered. Everybody knew how it worked. Whoever wins gets the spoils. And they can kill or enslave the defeated. And Babylon enslaved Israel. We don't have our homes. We don't have our place of worship. We are exiles. What are we going to do? Where do we go from here? All these accounts tell the pain and confusion and fear of God's people in the Bible. But there's one account that stands out from all of them. It starts in eternity past, which means it never started. 
God dwells in perfect holiness and joy. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The greatest mystery, God is one and yet three. One God, three persons dwelling together. And in the eternal wisdom of God, God chooses to create in his own image. Not because, not like us when we create. I build a little shelf because I need to put things on it. God did not create because he needed anything. In the eternal wisdom of God, he chose to create. And the best I've heard explained is a fountain. There's no defect in the fountain that it overflows. It was not that God needed. It was that he chose to expand his glory. And so he created them, men and women, in his image. And they dwelt in perfect peace with God. We talked about some of the story that leads to the crescendo. These stories, they crescendo to God's grace and mercy. God the Son became a man of flesh, like us in every way, because we were broken and separate from God in sin. And so the Son came, God the Son, and took on a body and became just like us in every way except without sin, became tired and needed to sleep, became hungry and needed to eat, was tempted in every way, but never sinned, so that he could for us be in our place. Jesus, the Son of God, did not market himself. He simply preached and exercised supernatural power at times to give mercy to others. His mission was to die for the sins of his people and to entrust the message of the gospel to a few who would carry it forward after he was gone. A group devoted themselves to him. Imagine this. We believe that the centuries of foreshadowing has been fulfilled in this man and we will follow him. And the crowds were fickle. A thousand on this day, and they all run the next. But the disciples say, we will follow him. We will, we will follow this Jesus. His, his disciples did not always understand it or get it. They still hoped that Jesus would establish the civil government. That the, that the Jewish people would rule their land with Jesus at their head. And they tried to force him to do it. But Jesus went to the cross. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. What would it have been like to be sure this is the Messiah? He will, he will drive out the Roman oppressors. He will establish us as we were established in days of old. 
and we will rule our own land. And we will, we will finally be the people of God and, and have all of the promises fulfilled. And Jesus dies. What are we going to do? Where do we go from here? Well, what did God do? What did he do in these, in these times? In the garden, God gave a covenant promise. While established as a shadow, it would foretell of his ultimate return and the ultimate return of his people to perfect fellowship with him. I will put enmity between you and the woman, he says to Satan. And there are also, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In Genesis 3, we see the foreshadowing of salvation. It's not clear what it's going to be, who it's going to be, but it's coming. As they were driven out, driven out of the garden, God promised them that he would be their God and he would save them. In, in, in Noah, with Noah and his family, he gave a covenant promise. It would foretell of the sustaining grace. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Even as they stood there in an unknown place where was everything destroyed. It was destroyed. Even as they stood there, God said, I'll never do this again, and I will care for you. We all know, Jacob prayed it, in the Exodus, God showed his covenant love by destroying the armies of Pharaoh and providing a way of escape for God's people. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. Thousands of trained, equipped troops facing slaves. And not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel on that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. This is your enemy, and I have destroyed them. Your greatest enemy is death, and I will destroy it too. In the exile, God gave his covenant promises while they were in exile. In Ezekiel, listen to this. Listen to this from Ezekiel. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. You've been carried off to Babylon. I will take you back. And give you your land. But this foreshadows not a physical land, but a final land, dwelling with God forever. And in Ezra 1, it happens the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, 
so that he made a proclamation through all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Whoever is among you, all his people, may God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. God met the people in their moment. Where do we go from here? But all of this foreshadows. All of this in the Bible points to. There's so much more we could say. So many more stories. Hebrews 11 recounts many of them. So much more. And all of it pointing to the final promise. The final fulfillment. Where do we go from here? In every other case, the garden, the flood, the exodus, the exile, the judgment and deliverance were temporary. But they were pointers. They pointed to the future. They pointed to the ultimate final deliverance. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. For the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He's not here. We we were, what are we going to do? They've killed our leader. They've killed the Messiah. They've killed our king. What are we going to do? They've put him in a tomb. And the angel says, he's not here. For he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. You don't believe me? I'm not surprised you don't believe me. Come look. This is where they put him. And he's not here. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. (laughs) Amazing. Not some sort of myth. He's not here. Go gather the group. Go to Galilee and he'll meet you there. Amazing. So in all these stories, the people of God face uncertainty. They face fear. They face confusion. What are we going to do? Where do we go from here? But God is there. His plans cannot be thwarted. He is sovereign. There is something bigger going on. In every case, there was something bigger going on when they were driven out from the garden. Not only would he care for them, clothe them, though there would be pain in childbirth, there would be children. Though there would be pain in work, there would be fruit. Farm the land. Now you will experience pain in it, but I will provide for you. But all of this pointing to the final provision, the final deliverance, the final hope, the restoration of all of it. God is there. His people will be delivered. His promises never fail. What we are walking through as a church is not the worst that God's people have walked through. I I do, I've got to tell you, one of my, I have a few mantras you know, if I ever write a children's book, one of my, my kids can help tell you, my, my, one of my mantras is when you're arguing with somebody, 
You can only make your point twice. And then if you don't have any new information, you can't make it anymore. So many times in the, in the, in the van, you know, riding down the road and then back and forth, ah, you, you've already said that twice. That's, that's enough. <laughs> Whining, just try to be logical. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help me. It's likely going to make it worse for you, so don't whine. Doesn't usually do any good, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> One of my mantras for myself is, I don't have a hard life. I say that in moments when I look at brothers and sisters, when I feel like I have a hard life. And then I remind myself of what it might have been like to be driven out of the garden. I remind myself of what it would have been like to get out of that boat. I remind myself what would it have been like to face Pharaoh's army? What would it have been like to be torn from my home and forced to live as a slave? I think about our brothers and sisters throughout the history of the church who have been persecuted. They've had their property taken from them. It's happening today. We have global partners that we send from our church. They, must, they cannot gather. They could not do this. Small groups. Quiet groups. Don't let your neighbor next door exactly. Find out when they're gone so we can get together in your apartment. We have brothers and sisters throughout the church, history of the church, have been persecuted to death. I don't have a hard life. I don't have a hard life in the hardest moments of this church. I want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. So I don't have a hard life, but we are in a rough patch. We're in a time of more low, a time of more need, a time of more hunger in our church. Is God with us? Was he with Adam and Eve as they left the garden? Was he with Noah and his family? Was he with the Israelites? When they fled from Pharaoh, was he with God's people when they were exiled to Babylon? Is he with Bethlehem Baptist Church now? Amen. I, you know, you don't have to say it. It's not, it's not compelled. But if you believe it, I think I will ask it again. Is he with Bethlehem Baptist Church now? Yes. Yeah, I think, I think he is too. I think he is because God is not fickle. I think he is because he doesn't look, he doesn't love just the most beautiful. No offense, some of you are, most of us aren't. He, I think he is with us because he doesn't love the wealthy exclusively. I think he's with us because he loves his name. And he said, I put my name on you and I'll call you mine and I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I think he's with us because he promises and he always fulfills his promises. 
Every single time. I began a good work in you, and I will bring it to completion. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. I believe he is with us, not because we are worthy, because he is worthy. Not because we love him so well, because he loves us so much. So where do we go from here, brothers and sisters? If you're a visitor today, thank you for joining our little family gathering. This is probably a little weird. I don't know what you're talking about. This feels awkward. I just wanted to hear the gospel. I hope you're hearing the gospel, but we're just being honest about where we are as a family. It's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. It's painful. You now, woman, shall experience pain. And you, man, shall experience pain. It's painful to have pastors resign. It's painful to have pastors resign and to say hard things. It's painful to have members at each other. It's painful for members to accuse each other. It's painful for there to be discord and division. It's also exactly what the Bible says we're going to experience. I'm so thankful for the word of God that doesn't sugarcoat. Like we've got to get to the point where we act like that. The Bible says you're going to have these things. And then God graciously admonishes us and directs us in how to relate and love to each other when we encounter conflict, controversy in the body of Christ. Pastoral resignations, obvious tension in the body, brother pitted against brother, sister distrusting sister, but God is here. His plans will be established. There's something bigger going on. Jesus must be exalted. The gospel must be preached. We will be delivered. His promises will never fail. We will continue on with our scars, but we will not stop. We will not give up. We will not sit in self-pity. We will walk forward by faith. Why? Because he gives us the gift of faith and love to do so. By God's grace, these things are so. Practically, so what are we going to do? We will continue in worship, in fellowship, in ministry together. How? How? We will continue in corporate, God-exalting, Christ-centered, gospel-rich singing, prayers, hope, and God-honoring petition, scripture-saturated reading, praying, and preaching. We'll continue to gather with our scars, with our wounds, with our hurt and pain, we will continue to gather in his name. By God's grace, Lord willing, we will be here next week and the week after that and the week after that. There is no man or woman, human institution, human resource that stands as the ultimate necessity for us to gather in his name. The only ultimate necessity to gather in his name is that we are filled by his spirit. And where two or three gather in his name, he is there with them. We will continue to minister to our children and youth and and their families. We cannot preserve this generation and lose the next. So I just, most of you know him. Do you think Pastor Bud and Lisa are going to sit at home and wallow in their pain? Pastor Bud will crawl on his knees if his legs are cut out of him for the next generation. And we will continue to love our children, to instruct them, 
we'll continue to gather our youth to have fun and talk about Jesus. What does a youth group do? Man, there's books and books and books. It's beyond me. But I think you do two things in a youth group. You have fun and you talk about Jesus. If, if you don't want to have fun, this is probably not a good youth group for you. And if you don't want to talk about Jesus, it's not a good youth group for you. We're going to preach the gospel to our youth, preach the gospel to our children. We are not going to stop because it's a hard time and we're full of pain. We're going to continue to gather in smaller groups for the building up of the body, the use of spiritual gifts to each other's edification, under the coaching and shepherding of the elders. This is too big a group for everybody to have a chance to say what they think. But everybody needs to say what they think in the body. It's too big of a group for everybody to use their gifts to everyone else's benefit. But everyone needs to use their gifts to the benefit of the body. It's too big of a group to experience the gifts of everyone in the body. But everyone needs to experience the gifts of others in the body. So we'll continue to gather in small groups. And your elders, no matter what shots they take, whatever said, are going to keep to seek to love you and help you gather in Jesus' name. Even when we don't know what to say. And we don't know what to do. Brothers and sisters, please be patient and gracious as you're able in this season. We may need to pause a few things so that we maintain the priority of corporate worship, our children and youth, and gathering in smaller groups. There is a practical reality that losing three pastoral staff, four, four pastoral staff level and administration makes things more difficult to coordinate. That's just real. It was hard the day that they got on the road <laughs> to Babylon. It was hard the day they, they ran out of their homes in Egypt. It's going to be hard in some ways. And so we beg your patience as we seek to lead and love this flock. Who? Pastor Jared has graciously agreed. Pastor Jared Watts, our pastor for small groups. He has served as um, an, our interim during the time that Pastor Jason was gone on sabbatical. Now that Pastor Jason is not returning, Pastor Jared has graciously agreed to continue as interim for a season. I, I'm going to just say publicly that while we are in pain in many ways, I will not personally by God's grace, cease from praising him for his goodness. It is good to gather on the Lord's day and sing and fellowship. And we've been doing that. And I've been personally, I come to Sundays and my gas tank, emotional and spiritual tank fills as so many of you are so kind. And we worship Jesus together. So, in this interim period, Pastor Jason has, has a, agreed to serve in this way, and that's another grace I just want to publicly say. God's spirit has been on Pastor Jared. Sorry, I said Pastor Jason. So Pastor Jared, he's been on Pastor Jared, and he's led so well in this interim time. And, and you think during the time, well, I didn't really expect that. I, I had said to, to Pastor Jared, he asked me, um, Months and months ago, before any of this was happening, he said, um, Pastor Jason has asked me to serve as interim while he's on sabbatical. What do you think? And I said, I, would, I think that would be, I think that'll work. And I said, just two things I would say, um, status quo and defer. 
Like when people come up and say, I want to just say, Pastor Jason's coming back. Well, it didn't work out the way we thought it was going to. And now Pastor Jason has departed. And during that time, I just observed my brother. I know, I know Jared and Amy well. Have you ever had a friend and you were just amazed? I didn't know you could do that. They do a backflip or something. I didn't know you did that. Watching Pastor Jared step into leadership of the downtown church as the troubles mounted. As the troubles mounted, the grace of God was more. (laughs) And so what a joy. And I will give praise to God for his grace in that way to us. Pastor Kenny is taking on the responsibility of leading and coordinating our preaching ministry from the pulpit or the music stand, as it were. We envision Pastor Kenny preaching regularly, but not exclusively. Something like it's been on sabbatical uh, during in this, past, this past summer. We, we envision Pastor Kenny carrying probably half or the ma- somewhat majority of the preaching, but we're going to share the load. Pastor, Pastor Jared is going to continue to provide leadership for small groups. Pastor Kenny is going to continue to provide leadership for church planting. And I am going to be, in a sense, Jared's private consultant. We already talk several times a week. <laughs> we meet weekly during, as the troubles mounted during sabbatical time. Pastor Jared and I began to meet weekly. And so I, I am going to do all I can do to support him and the rest of the downtown leadership during this time. We're committed. Um, Our downtown support staff, deacons, pastors, and elders are committed to digging in and trusting God to empower us by his Holy Spirit to fulfill his call to serve the members of our church. I would ask a personal favor. It's, It's challenging to respond timely. And so down for pastoral staff and some admin staff, I would pray for your, and ask for your patience, even in responding to requests. It can be challenging. But we're not giving up. We're not stepping back. We're walking forward. Adam and Eve, when they were driven from the garden, they walked forward. Noah and his family came out of the ark and walked forward. The Egyptian, the, in the Egyptian captivity, in the Exodus, the people of Israel walked forward. And even in the exile, knowing that they would return. We are not going to sit in self-pity, in navel gaze, wring our hands, even in our sadness, in our pain, in our lament. By God's grace, we will continue to walk forward. What's next? Continue to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. God has not released us from our vision and our mission. And, it, and we are not empowered, entitled to say no. Continue to gather for worship, make disciples, pray for each other and our neighbors and the nations. Continue to preach the gospel to each other, to our children, to our neighbors near and far. We do need to map out the future. There's, there's a judgment call here, there's wisdom. We need to organize ourselves. We need to involve the congregation 
and have representation to form a team that will seek the next pastor for preaching and vision at the downtown campus. We probably shouldn't do that tonight. And we probably shouldn't wait six months. And I don't know the exact time. For there's healing needed here. There's reconciliation needed here. There's repentance needed here. There's faith needed here. So you can be praying about that. That's going to very quickly become the foremost question or a foremost question among the elders. How do we organize ourselves to, to find the man that God has for us? I anticipate a team of leaders and members banding together to pray and walk out in faith to search for God's man. I don't know at this point about timing. I hope we can get started soon. We need a level of unity and trust of each other to move forward. Jesus is the head of the church. Don't forget that. It's not, it's not John Piper or Jason Meyer or the Converged Baptist Conference president. It's not me. It's not any of you. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus has not departed. Jesus is not confused. Jesus is not tired. Jesus is not uncaring. Jesus is not angry. Jesus is Lord and head of this church. And he will lead us forward. He will never forsake us. He is with us. He will never leave us. We are held in his Father's righteous right hand. His righteousness is ours. He calls us his brothers and his sisters. He presents us to the Father as children of God. These things are unshakable no matter what controversy befalls a church. One of the themes that you see in Psalms so often is that, but I will bless the Lord. Though this befall me, I will bless the Lord. Not because God, as an angry tyrant, says, bless me, or I will curse you. I will bless the Lord, for even in the greatest depth of pain, his blessings are more than we could recount. We are not sitting in hell at this moment. Those who are in Jesus are not on their way to hell. You are eternally secure. You cannot be snatched out of his hand. How much is that worth? How much will we bless him for that? Not to gain his approval, but but because we have it in Jesus. So I asked Renee if we could sing 10,000 reasons. 10,000 reasons and more that we can bless him. Father, praise you and thank you that you are with us on the mountaintop and in the valley. You are with us in the pleasure and in the pain. You are with us in the sadness and in the happiness. You are with us when we're tired and when we're strong. You are with us when our friends turn their backs on us and you are with us when we are surrounded by love and affirmation. All that is good comes from your hand and all that is painful will be dealt with and abolished for your children in due time.
So we bless your name forever. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.